All right, guys. I don't want to go too long. I know we all have places to be. Hey, hey, hey. What, what is happening what? here? What? Your voice, man. This this is how I always sound. Haven't you ever listened to the show? We're not, we're not doing that, Batman. Batman 89. We're doing that. I, I'm Batman. Sure. Oh, okay. But you're, you're the wrong Batman. Right then, boy wonder. Boot up the bat pewter and turn on the batrophones, and we'll vanquish this bat cast with a pow, bang, spoink. Dial it back, man. You gotta dial it back. Speaking of dials, I'm dialed the fuck in. Let's talk darkness. I was born into it. The show, show, show needs an enema. Welcome back to Over Under Fair, the final word in pop culture relevance. I am Dave Roldan, and you want to get nuts? Well, let's get nuts. We're here to talk about Batman 89, but I'm not alone, as obviously I wouldn't be, because you wouldn't listen to that. <laughs> uh, so let's introduce the panel going around the table. Oh, we've got a live one here. It's a returning Lacey McGraw. Hey! What's going on, man? Not much. Missed you guys. Missed you. Missed having you here. Um, Back with a vengeance. Yes, not that movie, but no. <laughs> but, but yeah, we're uh, we're talking Batman. Lacey's here, and uh, over here to my left, returning co-host, dancing with the devil in the pale moonlight. It's Josh Mathis. What's going on, everybody? You know, in reference to the use of Batman '89, I would just like to quote Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine Nine when I say, "Vindication." <laughs> it is fair, Josh. To to give some clarity to that, Josh is the first person I ever heard use the term Batman 89 and this was probably <laughs> in 1998 so I'll give him <laughs> eternal credit for being the person I believe has coined that term so Josh was very <laughs> online back in those days so I just imagine that he invented it and it, it spawned from there Josh how, how do you feel now that you've been meted out to be correct and it's, it's I will take I will take full responsibility for that it was all me <laughs> it had nothing to do with the IMDB message boards you were the IMDB message I was <laughs> All right, and with that out of the way, cut over to uh, my number one, a guy. It's Roger Castillo. The pen is mightier than a sword. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, wrong accent. Oh. Okay. I feel like a Sean Connery line. We're, but, uh, we're all trying our best. I'm starting to feel really left out because I didn't do like a thing when you introduced me. Do you want me to do it again? Do you want a Batman line? No. Okay. You'll have plenty of time to drop in all the Batman quotes you can find if it's necessary. If it isn't obvious, even, oh, though I, even though I already said it, we are here to talk about the 30th anniversary spending Batman 1989. Uh, this is a big movie in a lot of ways, which we will discuss as we go into the into the meat of it. But before we really get to that, we've all seen the movie. We know the movie. What are your general thoughts before we start on the movie? Lacey, we'll start with you. Um, I think kind of in recent years since the most recent Batman trilogy kind of entered our hearts with Christian Bale. I think it's kind of been underrated. <clears throat> Batman 89 is anyway. Um, I think before those movies came out, a lot of people talked about this one as being like, oh, that was the best one. You know, they all sucked after that. And it was appreciated. It was it was well appreciated. But, you know, since we've seen uh, what was it? Uh, Batman Begins. Yeah. And Dark, Dark Knight, Knight. Dark, Dark Knight, Knight Rises. Rises. Rises, Rises. Yeah. Um, 
I think a lot of people kind of consider those to be like the definitive Batman movies, but I think this one's really good. I think it's I think it's a teensy bit underrated. Fair enough, Josh. I need to talk about this cast, man. Julia Roberts, <laughs> Sally Fields, Daryl Hannah, Dolly Parton, <laughs> Olympia Dukakis. Son of a bitch. Steel Magnolias <laughs> is the greatest movie ever made. Um, but in regards to Batman, yeah, it's okay. Real talk, if you just want to do like a standalone <laughs> Steel Magnolias, it could just be me and yeah. you talking about we, how much we love Steel we Magnolias. We conned Josh. Yeah. I mean, Josh was going to do it, but we, we initially conned Josh into doing this by saying it was a Steel Magnolias podcast. And it is Josh's favorite movie ever, as I'm sure he will it's attest great. to. It's great. Absolutely. But we're not, we're not talking about Steel Magnolias. But you, you like this movie, yeah? I mean, Batman 89. See, here's the thing. I liked this movie... 25 30 years ago <laughs> re-watching it for this podcast i don't feel like it stood the test of time at all it's it's really it's definitely a product of its time it was a slog dated. it was such oh, a slog really? to get through for me you thought so i yeah, didn't think like, it was difficult to get through it all. I'm, I'm used to two hour three hour movies because that's kind of where we've gone in recent years. Yeah, we have no choice. Now they're all two or three right. hours, yeah. three and a half hours. Batman 89 is like two hours and six minutes. Yeah, it's like two hours and change. I had I had to do it in two viewings. Oh, it wow. was it was that difficult for me to get through. So over overall, coming back to it now, it's not something that you would think you would say is good or is it just for, of its time good? <sighs> it, it's difficult. I don't want to say that it's bad. But I also don't want to say that it's good of its time okay. because there's plenty of movies from that era that I can still watch and enjoy quite well, you know, and not just, you know, Steel Magnolias, not just Steel Magnolias. <laughs> I, th I think it's funny because if that we're calling it Batman 89 now, because if you don't attach that, like you need that 89 there to remind right. you that it was 1989 because right. it looks like. Yeah. It's it is a 1989 movie. And oh, when absolutely. you say Batman now, you think of Christian Bale sure. and like the newer right. Batman movies. Uh, Roger, Roger, thoughts on Batman 89 before we discuss it? Well, when it came out, I thought of it. It was my first summer blockbuster movie that I got behind behind the when fast food places used to have like the cups uh -huh. and the toys and everything like that. And this was the first movie that. I, I remember getting behind the quote unquote summer blockbuster feel to it. Because there's a reason for that. Yeah. It will come up. And uh, yeah, because of the release date and all that too. But at the same time, when I, I, when I watched it again recently, I will test what Josh was saying about it aged kind of strangely, if you think about it. But looking at how he set up the, the stage and set up the, everything, the, the special effects, it's pretty damn cool what he did, how he did it. All things considering how far we've come with technology and everything now, but I no, I it is. I watched it the entire time. I was enjoyed. I found stuff that I liked more than I didn't. The little lines that Jack Nicholson does as Joker, I thoroughly enjoyed it more than I did the first time I was watching it as a kid. Yeah, I, I I picked up on more of the humorous situations than I did as, as a kid. Some of it I didn't get, but as I got older, I, I found myself laughing out loud a little bit. There is a lot of it that is definitely over your head. If you're like seven, like yeah. I was I was six when I saw this movie, and absolutely, this there's so much of this that I would have missed as a six-year-old. Like I was just happy to see a superhero, you know what I mean? But having all that having all that to look at now is like something I can appreciate. Is I definitely to to transition into my opinion real quick about it before we start, I definitely feel like this movie is slightly underrated for the fact that it has a rewatchability that you might not have 
gotten when you were young. Like there, if you saw this movie when you were seven, eight, nine, there's so much more for you to take away from it now than there would have been then. And I feel like it bears reviewing for people that haven't seen it in a long time because it's doing some really weird and interesting stuff. And why why prolong it? We can just jump into talking about it. So as um, if you're a first time listener, or maybe just a returning listener, we break this down into three sections, the over, the under and the fair. Um, they all kind of cover what they say, you know, with different little tweaks on the word, the wording overs and unders. I think we should start with the fair in mentioning just how important this movie's legacy is by establishing that it's kind of fairly credited as the first superhero movie, quote unquote. Like it was a giant undertaking to put a comic book property onto the screen and it was a wild success. And it is from this that the template of all of the movies like Spider-Man and, you know, all through your MCU stuff now, this is kind of the first thing to introduce us to that concept and i think it succeeds like it might not be great at what it does now if you compare it to like captain america no one's gonna watch this now and think it's awesome but you got to start somewhere and i think this is a completely noble start didn't superman come out first though superman of course comes out first but it isn't it's years after superman that we even try it again like to this scale it was superman is the first in that it was a superhero movie that was successful but that was in 1978. This is a this is a decade later. Right. You know what I mean? And they tried to start it earlier. Like, the, the origins of this movie stretch back into the mid-'80s. Uh, the, Tim Burton has been on this since, like, right after Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Tim Burton gets attached to this movie. And they didn't make it right away. Like, there was a bunch of re- rewrites and different writers were brought in. It was in production hell for a solid five years before they ever went forward on actually making it because they did not think this would be a success. I can kind of see that. I, I can definitely see watching that movie that there was a lot of a lot of input from a lot of people that didn't necessarily gel together, in my opinion. Uh, for example, I think of the there's two examples that comes to that in terms of style, Josh, that I think it comes to mind. Who framed Roger Rabbit? A lot of that set with the the the, the, the industrial slime and everything. This is right after Roger Rabbit. I feel like they've put some parts of that set in there, the darkness, gritty part of it, too. And also, Robin Williams was set to be the Joker before. Yeah, for a while. For a while. He and was, then. Yeah, one of the first tasks. Yeah. And eventually what happened was is that they went when they told Jack Nicholson, he's like, I'll do it. And then when they approached him to do the Riddler, Robin Williams was like, no, until he apologized. And that was a whole fiasco with that. But the the even the way it was like the some of the subtleties and the little stuff like the. The Batman 1940s comic feel to it versus what they're trying to do in alter or like a re- like a regular reality. It seems like there's two clashes, two styles meshing together that they had a, they put together so they would not to be campy because everybody at that time assumed that Batman was going to be something like Adam West. Yeah, and they had to change. They had that to was change the last that. Batman yeah. that anyone knew are was you, the Adam West Batman. Are you talking about like the the feel of the movie, like Correct. how it, it kind of looks like a film noir, but then there's a lot of like splashes of color and like you know it's a dark movie. Is that what you're? Yeah, talking Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like that was very deliberate. I, I do. I, I totally agree with you, yeah. and I think it, seems, it works. It seems like, really deliberate, and that's one of my favorite things about that movie. Me too. Yeah, totally agreed. It's really dark. People are kind of dressed like it's like a not the eighties. Like they're wearing like overcoats and you know you guys like you know, ba- yeah. hats and back alley type stuff and suits. And then you have like a nineteen eighty Chevy Citroen in there, which is like the most which mo- is so out of place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, but I feel like all of that. You know, it is by it is deliberate, one hundred percent deliberate, and I think it works the overall aesthetic of this movie, which is why I think it's like 
I don't think you can take away anything from this movie on the negative aspect of production design because I think it's amazing. Like top to bottom, I think this movie looks and feels a specific way and it exceeds what you would have expected a Batman movie to look like then. Like, but you're, you're in your head, you're seeing the, you know, the words shooting out at the screen with your exclamation points, the pows, bams, like that's, that's what Batman was. And yeah, that is all gone. This, in this is movie. the first Batman on screen since Adam West. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, people had that in their mind because that's what I, I mean, when I was a little kid, I used to watch reruns of the Batman TV series and it worked very well for me when I was like a really When you're a child, kid. yeah, it's right. awesome. And then when I watched this, I was like, well, this is a lot different. This isn't the Batman I know. The suit is like bonkers comparatively you know i didn't i wasn't reading batman comics back then so i didn't really have anything to compare it to other than you know adam west and the boy wonder and so yeah and we're talking about aesthetic too i kind of feel that it was actually a little bit subdued for tim burton the in batman 89 because if you compare it to batman returns it's (laughs) like you wouldn't realize i think that it was they're both tim burton Oh, I, mean, I do. I, yeah, I, I, I know. I mean, saying, I, I do, but it is, it's, it is like by it's like greater by half. Like what right. what you did in Batman the first one, Tim Burton style, you ratchet up like X amount of degrees for Batman Returns, and then it's like, oh my god, this is a lot more of this movie than the first one was. Right. I think that's a lot of it is the fact that this movie had so much production difficulty behind it, and Tim Burton was given a lot of free, like leeway to do to make a movie, but there's still there's still a hope that this movie is made wide enough for a lot of people to appreciate. Right. So you have to, you have to kind of walk into that gently, like that really weird end of the pool that Tim Burton like throws everybody into. He probably, in he probably had a lot of people come out and being like, look, this is for kids. <laughs> right. We don't yeah. want you going bonkers crazy. Like you did with Pee Wee, but they still did though. That's why this movie is <laughs> subversively. It's still dark and shit. Another question uh, that you guys would know the answer to this. I'm, I wouldn't, but, what did Tim Burton do before this besides Pee Wee? Like, was he like Tim Burton, Tim Burton at no, the time? Or like, he no, probably no. had people this he was really answering this is, to. This yeah. is Tim Burton becoming Tim Burton right. in bold letters. Right, yeah. This is his first big That's movie. kind of what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. And no, and it was, which, it was an interesting angle that is kind of developing here, too, that among the aesthetic that I wanted to discuss is the leather jackets. The leather jackets. Let me explain a little bit. <laughs> There is, if you look at Pee Wee's Playhouse, or excuse me, Pee Wee's Big uh, Big Top Adventure, the well, not Big Top Pee Wee, those are two different movies. Sorry, the Big Adventure, Big Adventure, yeah. The aesthetic of the TV set, the action news, the little subtle things about that you picked up from Pee Wee, for example, like the, that I, that whole TV thing would remind me of something out of nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, which was which he was doing quite a bit in that Pee Wee's Big Adventure. It had that he was able to age that movie, like we talked about it too. And the splash of color on the Joker jacket and, like, the whole, like, taking a cue from the the Adam West movie with the Joker having the, the colors and everything. Like, he took some solid parts of the past, used it very sparingly, and gave it and put it in his own way. Because, like, when I saw that car, the chase scene with the car, I'm like, that's totally a Batman, like, 60s, you know, like, well, you know, that that's the Joker's car. Yeah. And, like, and the jacket and the, and the helicopter, too, which... Almost wanted to say the shark repellent was going to come out of yeah, nowhere. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You have to you have to do a bit of fan service because even even if this wasn't an established movie universe yet, Batman exists. Like there's right. a whole a whole forty years of comic history leading into the making of this movie. So there are nods, you know, all over the place to other things. The whole, I mean, really, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention the whole 
sort of design of this film is kind of patterned after temp contemporary uh, portrayals of Batman, like from uh, Alan Moore's Killing Joke and Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. Like the the tone of this movie is set from that, but not nearly as dark. Like they can't make it the Killing Joke. That's not a movie you can sell to audiences in 1989. So you have to take that, take the darkness, kind of wash away the the Adam West, you know, retro vibes of it yeah. and make it a, a darker film. And that's, you know, again, f- I think in fairness, it does that really well. And then, and the other part of it, too, is like if you notice the Jack Palace's office, the, the head Jack Palace. Yeah. Well, the, he the, was the, underutilized. He in was. My opinion. Yeah. That even like that aesthetic right there or the two heads that are behind him, like the, the, the that make the corner show in the building. Yeah. That's a total Tim Burton thing. Because 100%. You, see, you see more of that in the Batman Returns, but that was just a subtle it is all over this movie, though, yeah. like outside of Gotham City Hall with the yeah. two giants figures like hunched over there with swords and shit. Yeah. Like, there's there is no minor amount of like gothic postmodernism, all Tim Burton style. Like it's it's all here. All of the Tim Burton hallmarks are in this movie. The Danny Elfman score, the, you know, the nonsense sets, the super black everything like yeah. it's it's all a very Tim Burton movie. It just it's a little muddled in some of the delivery because he doesn't have the power to go all the way Burton with a right. lot of stuff right away, but you know, does it enough? Yeah. I felt too with a lot of that, like that's the stuff that I was missing in, you know, the new generations Batman is I felt it could have lent more towards the comic book nature with the Gothic architecture and stuff like that. So that's one thing that I do love. Yeah. That is missing. Movie. I mean, cause it's, it's, you know, at this point, we're trying to put, we're trying at this. What Tim Burton was trying to do with getting rid of the Adam Westness of Batman, Christopher Nolan is trying to do by getting rid of the Burtonness of Batman when right. he starts yeah, making sure. Batman. So everybody wants to put their own individual thing on it without borrowing too heavily from the predecessor. And I agree with you. I personally, in, in my world, Batman is in like a weird noir forties eighties kind of mishmash. Yeah. Like that's the Batman I like. That's the I, Batman I, I enjoy this, seeing. This is my favorite like goth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it makes me feel like I know what Gotham City would be like. Yeah. And it's not just like like in the newer Batman movies, it's, it's it almost just feels like any major city that would be near you. Right. Like right in this time period, like you know, if I took a walk in, on the streets of Detroit or something yeah. like that, that's how it feels like. And that's pr- pretty much because it was. Because, I mean, they yeah. filmed it <laughs> yeah. in, in several current major cities. Right. And- exactly. But I, I that's what I love about uh, this Batman 89 Gotham is it feels like it feels like, you know, you want to turn the collar up on your long raincoat and sneak into a back alleyway to make a backhanded <laughs> deal. You know, <laughs> boy, these streets are dirty. And right. I tell you, we need somebody to clean them up. You know, <laughs> like it almost feels like the dialogue should be like that, like full bore but oh my god i i think i probably would love this movie (laughs) so much more if they had kind of went the sin city route with with a lot of the dialogue hardcore just written for a comic book dialogue right i think it could have done well to service it's not too far removed like it's i think with the exception of a couple of notable performances which i'm sure we will talk about the the pacing is kind of comic booky like it it feels kind of paneled because yeah. it moves really slow <laughs> you got the fast talking reporter mm-hmm. you know right yeah. yeah and the you know the bruce wayne dropping like kind of quippy one-liners and stuff which is interesting um i guess that would be something i don't know if i would say it's underrated but i guess i'm going to put it there so for part of the under i think that 
not enough credence is given to some of the performances of this movie that aren't the ones we remember. Like, I think Michael Keaton is an underrated Batman. I think in general, he was given a task that would have been impossible for someone of his stripe at that time. He was labeled a comedic actor. Right. You know, that's you know, he'd done movies like, you know, go like Gung Ho and like Beetlejuice. Like these are these are the things that Michael Keaton is known for. And he's cast as Batman. Yeah. Like a a serious, very, you know, of of the mind to combat crime sort of character and is, I think does really well at it. Like, I think that's more to the credit of Michael Keaton, the actor, but I don't know. I think it's, I think it's something that doesn't get, that doesn't get talked enough about. I think Michael Keaton is an underrated Batman. He is an underrated Batman, but what always cracks me up about this Batman is when he's walking, when Kim Basinger comes walking in Vicky Vale and he's wearing those Jordache jeans or not <laughs> Levi jeans. Okay. It's just, it's a subtle, small thing, but it cracks me up because there's parts of the movie where it looks like, 80s Billy Joel to a T. <laughs> like the glasses it's and everything. Not helping, yeah, the hair and all yeah, that. Yeah, and this is him coming off, you know, doing movies like Living Johnny Dangerously, Mr. Mom, and <laughs> that Gun Ho movie. So he had he had a break. I'm, I missed that part, but he had the break away from it, uh, being typecasted. But when I saw the G- Levi jeans yesterday, I cracked up because I'm like, here he is in this big, stu- you know, big house, and he's just like, a man in a turtleneck and a pair of Levi jeans. That's yeah. all you need. To, and those eighties uh, ass glasses. Yep. Like, and, and God, those, glasses. <laughs> those was it the white? It was the wire room. Yeah, yeah. with the little right. tuck behind Small, the ear. Yeah. yeah. I, I was laughing because uh, the glasses that Vicky Vale is wearing throughout this movie are glasses that people wear now. Like yeah. they've kind of come back into vogue of these yeah. weird giant glasses, face yeah. encompassing glasses yeah. that I hated as I when I was a child. The librarian glasses. Yeah. I had a yeah. pair when I was in second grade and oh I refused my God. to wear them. I thought those things are hideous. So shout out to all the ladies wearing those hideous glasses now. I mean, I guess you're pulling it off. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Michael Keaton, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said. You can. That's why we're here. My thing is, is I don't, I don't disagree with you. I do think he's probably underrated, but at the same time, he's like low on my list of of my favorite Batman. You know, Batman. I think he's kind of unremarkable. Is the thing like he kind of like no pun intended flies in under the radar. Whoa. <laughs> but um, you know, it's to me, he's not anything that I was like, oh my god, Michael Keaton. He's no, I, I'm not trying to Batman. like stand firm like forever. Like he's the best one. No, but no, no, no. I, know. I definitely feel like the performance is nuanced in a way that I don't think gets a lot of credit anymore, but and I kind of want to give it to. I him. I agree with that. Like I think he's kind of. How do I how do I put this? He's you're right, nuanced in a way where he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Like he's kind of like everybody forgets about him, like because he wasn't so over the top like Adam West, and yeah. he wasn't so like serious Christian. Yeah, dude, he doesn't have know. a voice, or, <laughs> or or doesn't give a fuck like George Clooney. Right. Yeah. Right. Like he's he's weird. He's in this weird little pocket of just kind of being in the middle because they don't know where they are yet. Like this is the first time this character has been portrayed with a any intention of trying to be serious on yeah. screen. And I feel like Michael Keaton was an apt, an apt, you know, casting for that specifically. Like, we don't want you to do too much, even though we know you can go really big. We've seen it. And we don't want you to do too little because we need you to have a presence. And I feel like he kind of walks that line, like, pretty well. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is a, I guess it is a roundabout way of kind of saying it's a moderate performance, if you were to, 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 to interpret it that way. But I, I don't know. I personally was watching the movie and really, really enjoying Michael Keaton just being on screen as this character because he gave it like a weird like he gave the the part of it that's pensive without being too mopey because we get we get kind of farther into the weeds with this aspect of Batman as the the series goes forward like in the I think Val Kilmer kind of weighs too heavily on the shit that he 
reflects in like he wants to be too dramatic with it even though he can't because he's not a great actor and then christian bale gets real moody you know what i mean so michael keaton is kind of doing the the nice balance of not having it be overwhelming like this we do get an origin story but it's the first time we have to do it so it doesn't feel rote you know and it's not he doesn't feel like he's wallowing in it like i think another thing that's underrated about this movie to kind of segue into that this movie doesn't take a lot of time to set up that Batman is Batman. Like, yeah, it's kind of almost like he's a new thing in town when this movie starts. You know, like they have almost the, like Batman Year One. Yeah, they have those dudes on the roof who are talking right. about. You hear about Johnny got got yeah. by the bat? And it's like, oh, I don't believe in Batman. Like, it's kind of like he just appeared. Yeah, you know? and yeah. Vicky Vale comes into town and she's like, I heard you guys got a giant bat. Like, yeah, it's just kind of like news is just and he's now like spreading. in his forties. Yeah. Like, this is so we're just to believe that Batman just reappeared in Gotham yeah you know and I think that's kind of an interesting take on it what I did think is strange though is that uh Arliss what, what's his name in the Robert movie? Wall I know his name what's his, oh his um name. whatever the reporter yeah you know who I'm talking about Arliss it's fucking Arliss you're Arliss Knox Knox yeah that's so right. Knox yeah. Knox doesn't recognize Bruce Wayne like he doesn't know what Bruce Wayne looks like in this in this world and I think that is a weird choice I mean, Bruce Wayne is supposed to be Bruce Wayne. Right. Like, he's, he's a supposed, millionaire. Yeah, he's and this like guy runs. Guy. Yeah, this guy is a reporter at the most notable news source in Gotham City. You don't know who Bruce Wayne is? I like, would. Like, I also found it interesting that Vicki Vale doesn't know who he is. Either. No one knows like, who you Bruce would just Wayne was. Like, like, you would think that his like, face would at least be in pictures and stuff. You would like, think I, that, but that, that kind of leads to where I'm like, what I'm coming with that the underrated aspect of this movie, I think the plot is kind of underbaked in that sense. Like, he just showed up, like, out of nowhere. See, I kind of interpreted that more to be a weakness in writing. Yeah. Like, like, oh, this scene will be so much funnier if nobody knows that he's Bruce Yeah, Wayne. she walks yeah. up to him. You know? Do you know who and Bruce Wayne is? You know? They didn't really kind of take into consideration the logical aspect. Right. Of course they would know that he's Bruce Wayne. Sure. I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I think just think yeah. it's an interesting. it's an interesting <sighs> note to hit. When you're trying to establish this world, it's it's new to all of us, right. but apparently it's new to the characters in the film. Like Bruce Wayne is not a known commodity the way that we all expect him to be in the future. Like we don't know who Bruce Wayne is. And I you don't know, know what? who Bruce Wayne is. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's okay. Go ahead, Roger. I was gonna say I, I think they took kind of a cue from Batman Year One because Batman or Bruce Wayne comes back after touring or not touring, but I was kind of kind of lead to yeah, that too. Yeah, like leaving. He leaves Gotham City for a while. Go find himself doing this, all his training, what have you. So a, a generation or a society of people forget about who he was. I could totally see that because in reality, he's aloof on purpose. And it kind of sets up the way Frank Miller did in the comic where he's this is maybe after all the training. Maybe he's out finally you know, before he gets kind of established himself a little bit. But that's the way I interpret it. And you're, you're talking about Bat or I'm sorry, Bruce Wayne. Correct. Like, right. Like Bruce Wayne has been gone. But was he Batman before? No, no. What he, you're saying? No, when he so. When in year one, he comes back after he does the train, decides to be Batman, and he starts going out. So this is like his first time as Batman. Yeah, there is no Batman. He left Gotham kind of like as a young young man, like, and he wouldn't have really been established as Bruce Wayne, okay? Because he was kind of just a kid when his parents died, yeah. Yeah. Then he was kind of a recluse kid because he was just living with Alfred Mm -hmm. and whatever, and then he kind of disappears and he goes off. He does all his training and bullshit and. 
then comes back and kind of takes control of his company. So yeah. you could argue that, but that they don't really address why it they, at all. Right? They yeah. don't. There's they never don't even Batman like a throwaway line where they're like, "Oh, Bruce Wayne's back in town," you know? Yeah. yeah. Which, or, if I'm being honest, what I was going to say before Roger said that, and. It, This is totally 100% honest. Like, I'm not that observant of a movie watcher to where I wouldn't have noticed this had I not been watching it for this show. Like, I I don't think I ever noticed this before. Like, oh, they just don't know who Bruce Wayne is. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. I I was looking for that when I watched this. When I watch things, obviously, to, like, review them and talk about them, I I look at them through a much different lens than I would if I was just watching as a movie watcher. And I would have never even thought of that you know yeah if it was like set in today like 2019 i'd be like nobody's got the fucking internet but like back (laughs) then in like 1989 like i understand you're still relying on newspapers and television and stuff like that so i guess i I wouldn't have even really thought about it until you know now and there's there's even like subtleties too like when he goes when uh arliss just call him arliss (laughs) i'm gonna call him arliss arliss was in his his little room, his museum, and he's he's like, "What is this?" He's like, "I bought it in Japan." I'm like, "Aha!" Yeah, ah, they are yeah, giving it's like, notes. Dun, 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 yeah, dun, yeah. Dun, like, I, I think what's nice though is that this would be the kind of thing that a movie would have to tell you now. Like they they set up the things of like, well, this is he did this in Japan before he, he trained in Japan and he learned all these bat skills and then he came back to be Batman. Like this is the it took three goddamn movies to tell that story for Christopher Nolan. We're starting like on the ground running with this movie, and I feel like. That's a that's a that's a charity for this movie. Like that's something they can get away with then that they wouldn't have they would have to kind of pay more credence to now of establishing because people like us are sitting here like, does everybody not know who Batman is? Well, it wasn't important. Like right. in fairness to Lacey's point, if you're watching this for the first time, you don't actually need to know that Batman trained to be Batman. Because he's fucking Batman now. Like you're not there to know about his training. You're there to see Batman on screen. Right. So right. there were probably, as there are always, people of dissenting opinions. That were like, well, how did he become Batman? Like, he just shows up and he's Batman? There may have been someone upset about that. But I think the more I think about it, it's actually better that the movie doesn't take the time to do all that. Because it would have been way longer. And this movie yeah. already feels pretty long. Yeah. You know, to to Josh's point. Like, this, it takes time. And that's kind right. of a thing that I think is also perhaps, I will call it underserviced in the, in the aspect of this movie. This movie is slow. Like, I, I think if you were to say that this movie is overrated or maybe not great... It's because the pacing is weird. Like, it takes a long time for us to get to the Joker. It takes a long time for us to get any Batman scenes. There's, like, four. Like, the movie does not give you enough Batman. There's and that's not a lot probably Batman good in, yeah. in retrospect. But if you were waiting for this for the first time to see Batman on screen, you got a lot of the Joker for a long time. Because we get his whole setup. And that's what I, you know, can I, if I may interject yeah, go ahead. for a minute. I think it's interesting that we're sitting here kind of talking about how, like, oh, we just didn't even know, like, he's just Batman. Like, at this point in time we all know batman's backstory like we've seen it a thousand times but then we didn't but we do get a bit of an origin story for the joker which we don't really get in no. other movies do we i mean not as we're going not as, to be i mean yeah yeah, uh, yeah now we are but not I mean, as not as developed no yeah no and there's they spend way more time like explaining how the joker became the joker which is I like the Joker better when you don't know how That's he became the Joker. That's what I was going to say. I like the Joker better when he just shows up and you're like, the fuck is this clown guy? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That's like the Joker to me. I, I agree. I really didn't like the origin story of it. I but think, I understand yeah, that it's like. I agree with you. I think the reason that is, though, is because it's Jack Nicholson. We paid him a lot of money. Like, oh, you really? We need, oh, yeah. Jack Nicholson, it, part of what we had talked about to the casting of this, he his can, his like demands, I guess, to quote them. Uh, he needed to be top billed 
and he needed to be paid a whole shitload of money to do it. He he got to dictate his own shooting schedule and he pretty much got to make the movie about him. Like this is effectively the Joker featuring Batman. Well, kind yeah, of. I, I was going to bring this up when we were talking a little bit more about aesthetic and scenery. And I don't think this is unique to this movie. I think this is kind of more of a Tim Burton thing. But isn't it funny that um, in this movie, like the darkness surrounds the hero of the film and all like the colorful usage is surrounding the villain? Because well, yeah, that's a lot what's of compelling, time, though. Well, I know. I'm, I'm just saying that is compelling because a lot of times in movies, like it's kind of opposite. Like they want to invoke that, you know, the colorfulness and to the hero and like they're bright and shiny and yeah. all that but like in this movie they're more like look it's chaotic it's the joker and then out from the shadows comes back because this is the turning point like this is this is why i mentioned it as the the template being set for superhero movies of the future they all became super super gritty and realistic for yeah. a while you know and even in like the dc universe and shit where you got like your justice leagues and mm-hmm. your you know, your batman specifically but even superman was kind of dark like yeah. they made they made your heroes dark for a while and it starts here like the villain is always more compelling because villains sure. are compelling and tim burton knows that and does that through all of his movies like yeah, yeah. you know if you go to the next batman movie the penguin is way more interesting than batman Absolutely. Yeah. catwoman's more interesting than batman yeah, absolutely. so in this movie it just sets that tone of like and i care about the villains way more than i give a shit about batman and that didn't they change fun. it didn't change either because if you look at nolan's trilogy it's the same thing Maybe with the exception, we get more Batman, and right. he does a lot to build that character. In Batman Begins, it isn't really that case. But if you look at the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises, 100%. it's it's one hundred percent about yeah. the villain. And I didn't really notice this until rewatching Batman eighty nine. The Dark Knight took a lot of influence from Batman eighty nine with some of the things and the way they played out. If we're talking about like the scene where. Heath Ledger's Joker is daring Batman to hit him on the motorcycle. You could totally see that when you're watching Batman 89 and there's a scene of Batman in the Batwing and the Joker is standing in front of his float. Yeah. And they're playing chicken, you know? Uh, Same thing with uh, the end of the movie with, you know, them being up atop a high building and and Batman kind of roping in the Joker with uh, his grappling hook, except, you know, obviously it ends a little different in the dark night it ends a little differently because because they make a they make strains to make that a batman that of the mold of like well batman doesn't kill people batman straight mercs people in this fucking movie (laughs) oh yeah they're not they're not worried about that kind of canon yet and i think that is another underrated aspect of this movie batman fucking throws a dude down that down that bell tower like you know when he, he gets knocked down that shaft and just Flips fucking hurricane as that dude right down that belt. Drops a bomb right between the dude's <laughs> legs. Then if you, you know, I know mainly we're talking about Batman 89, but if you move on to Batman Returns, he lights a dude on fire yeah. with a freaking afterburner on his car. Uh, he shoves a freaking bomb in a dude's pants and then pushes him down a sewer. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, if, if, I think I think the one thing about that's underrated that Sam Ham did as a writer, and he wrote, Watchmen, who which Alan Moore wrote, and Alan Moore wrote The Killing Joke. I think, if anything, you look at the way that the Joker's origin story, which this The Killing Joke came out a year before Batman 89 did. Yeah. So for the hardcore people out there, I mean, Sam Hamm probably was working on it the whole entire time, but if you think about it, he took some cues from The Killing Joke because in the, in the book, the Joker becomes the Joker becomes a Red Hood. Uh, the guy who plays the Joker 
through the Red Hood, and that's how he becomes the Joker. Same kind of subtly. He goes in a plastic bottle of chemicals. Same thing as Batman 89. So there's some things borrowed to it. That's why I thought it was underrated. There's some... Oh, yeah. They're, they're pulling from the killing joke yeah. directly. Like, yeah. That's, that, they're 100% taken from that. And that's in like comic book wise, is a com- and I've read a lot of the Batman comics. I like the, the canon, kind of like the tip of the cap. But most people wouldn't know that unless they read the Killing Joke or were a huge Batman comic book fans. So. Yeah, and it's not. I think what makes this movie successful is that it isn't pertinent. Like you don't actually need to know any of that stuff, but it's nice if you do. Yeah, like for for the for the person who was reading comics, the comic enthusiast of 1989, they probably got a lot from that where they were like, "Oh, that's awesome!" Like they're they're giving me you know stuff that I am familiar with, and that's that should be you know appreciated. Like I think that's a right. cool touch. I do want to talk about though who's underrated is. Jack Palace as the boss. He's only in the movie. Jack Palace doesn't get a lot to do, and it. it's yeah. too bad because what a he's fantastic. What a dynamic yeah. actor. <laughs> he's just he's always like just pumped and and he's always and it's just like, I love his. You I know, think but, he would have made a great Joker. I mean, the Joker that the "You're my number one guy" line is yeah. kind of Jack Nicholson parodying Jack Palance when yeah. he says that to him. Like, right. it's one hundred percent him doing an impression of someone who's also, he's playing against in the movie. I did wish that there was more for him to do because he is kind of unsung like as a guy that gets to do shit in this movie um that hey you but know what i mean like you, you gotta like, make the movie go it is don't you think it's just one of those uh roles that like down the line you're gonna be like oh fuck i forgot jack Palin. i did i forgot jack so did i yeah, absolutely yeah. i did too i also kind of forgot that uh what's his name billy d williams yeah i, I will Dunn. never forget i, that. I kind of forgot like because I mean, it has been a long time since I've really sat down and watched this movie all the way through. I think you know? it's 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 too bad too because like from going forward, you know, we have Harvey Dent as like you know an African American actor, and mm-hmm. this isn't. I'm not trying to get PC about this, but it is. It's an interesting note that they would then change that in every aspect going forward, where Two Face is never black again, right? Like the the animated series, he isn't the Batman Forever, he isn't. You know, even most recently, Aaron Eckert, he isn't. Like, right. every portrayal of Two-Face has since not been an African-American actor. And I thought Billy D. Williams probably would have been a cool Two-Face. Yeah. When I make my perfect Batman movie, I'm going to use an African-American actor. Will he be Billy D. Williams? It won't I be Billy D. Williams. Be. Who's it going to be? It'll probably be Idris Elba. Oh. Or, but, what? Idris Elba <laughs> Donald, Honestly, Donald Glover. I would love yeah, Idris Donald Elba. Cool. Just make Idris Elba Batman. Donald so I can Glover see him all the not time. a bad idea. Think about it. He plays two characters right now. The Childish Bambino and Donald Lovell. <laughs> he, he has. He's been two faced this whole Channel time. Channel yourself. Yeah, he's literally Donald. been. Pre- he's been auditioning for the role for like a decade now. Yeah, you're right. Good call. Um, <laughs> any other underrated underrated performances in this movie? That's how we got here. We were talking about performances. Jerry Hall. I mean, I know she's not like very important in the movie. Otherwise known as Roland, or Mick Jagger's wife or girlfriend at or, the time. At yeah. the time, yeah. I thought her, like her role. Well, while small was I, I, I thought it was underrated because it made me laugh. Not made me laugh, but just the mass transformation, and everything. There was no explanation of what happened there, but yeah, yeah. But the betrayal stuff. But I don't know. I thought she was a little underrated in that movie. What about Kim Basinger? This is I don't I don't hear people talk about her a lot in this movie. Like we we know of her as a an eighties entity because that's that's her yeah. big time. But what, she's in this movie because she's a bankable star at, of the time. What is how do you feel she's, about Kim Basinger? She's in this movie? fine. I yeah. She's she a better fine. actress than this movie uh, would have you believe. I think. Yeah. There, yeah. I think. I, I think her performance think in this movie yeah. is yeah. kind of cringeworthy. Absolutely, Josh. I, I, I kind of. I don't think it's cringeworthy. I just think Vicky Vale as a character is just kind of like. Mm. I'm a woman. I'm a love interest. Yeah. Like I just I'm have Vicky to be here. Vale. I'm here. I'm but that's pretty. the thing. She could have been. She could have been Lois Lane for this. You know, like she could have been a ballsy female photographer or Margot Kidder because she was a, yeah. a wartime for, photographer too wasn't she yeah, wasn't that her whole thing that's her whole thing, that's yeah. her whole thing yeah. like like make her 
you know, you're not going to get that in 1989, I guess. But make her a strong. Female I thought she was strong. I thought she came across as strong. Though. Uh, she's kind of. She's a little damselly. Yeah, you know, she's, throughout she's a the little damsel. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's not full full on damsel in distress yeah. tied to the tracks, but she's definitely like we're playing that. That's, that's the note saved. that we're playing for that. Yeah, she's there to be saved. She's, she's there to she's be rescued. She's in peril with the know? Joker. She's saved by Batman. Like she's her her role is more or less just to kind of further a plot between Batman and the Joker, kind of vying for a woman. <laughs> like, it, which is weird in its own way. That that's where this movie has to kind right. of pivot at some point i don't know it does have the scene though which leads it would it does lead to the scene where the joker shows up at her penthouse and michael keaton gets to say let's get oh nuts my God. which is one of my favorite parts of the entire That's movie my least it's favorite. so stupid <laughs> it's so dumb it is it you want to get nuts let's get nuts it, that that's michael keaton shining through in, yes in i agree role. uh it is one of my favorite memes also ever there's a picture that has that quote juxtaposed then with a picture of the joker and batman buying like macadamias which <laughs> makes me so happy <laughs> thanks internet um let's talk about let's talk about something that i think is overrated in the discussion oh okay then yeah this now you want to get nuts come on let's get nuts 100 nice fucking model come on he's just beetlejuice let's uh let's talk about an overrated topic of conversation because i want to put this to bed finally there's not this is not a debate between who is a better Joker, oh, because I, I don't care about that. I really don't. It, they're two different things. I want to say, though, that anyone that thinks Jack Nicholson is overrated, his performance of the Joker in this movie, come and talk to me personally, and I will tell you why you are wrong. Because I think Jack Nicholson is fucking amazing in this movie. He is dialed up to a billion. His dialogue is fantastic. Every line he has is great. He's got one-liners for days. His... Even though he could have taken all this money and completely checked out, which, you know, some people have said he did. I think they're wrong. I've watched other Jack Nicholson movies. I can show you when he checks out. He is enjoying all of the time he is having on screen throughout this entire movie and is playing it like a goddamn lunatic. And I love it. I love this portrayal of the Joker. I would never... (laughs) Artist. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I would never say that his role is in any way underrated underrated or overrated. Sorry. I would never say that. I do kind of agree with the people that say Jack's being Jack, but when you're Jack, you could do that. It works. It did. I I also wouldn't call it overrated, but I will say, I just think it, it works for this movie specifically. Totally. One thing I will say that I think is super bothersome to me is that, fucking smile i hate it i hate the makeup in this movie <laughs> so the much the the choice that they did with the jo- oh i hate it you know what well, lacy i second that because when he didn't have the face paint on it creeped me out i just i couldn't get over oh, it I you mean get... you mean when he did have the face paint oh yeah, on the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah the real point yeah like that's not intended to be makeup that's, yeah, that's like yeah. what the chemicals did now, yeah man. right yeah and he puts on the complexion and he's sitting there like, like with yeah. that shit eating gr- i'm doing the face he can't see <laughs> yeah. and they're like what's with the grin and then it like it i hate that i hate that scene i hate that it's just there the whole time like i get it but i just uh. i fucking love it i love everything about jang nichols in this movie yeah. i i haven't watched this i hadn't watched this in a very long time before i watched it for the for the for the show I remember enjoying this movie. I loved it as a kid. Like, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I remember very much enjoying this movie 
and not remembering exactly why, like thinking about it later. Because that's I, how I felt. Batman Returns is a movie I've watched more than this because I think that movie is fucking amazing. I think it's, we, it's better. We may, we may come to that in a couple of years if we decide to revisit that for the 30th <laughs> year. OUF Returns. Uh, yeah, because fucking hell. But anyway, we're not talking about that today as much. The, um, my, one of my favorite sequences is when he, in the restaurant, after like she, he confronts her, and that whole dialogue, his dialogue right there is yeah. peak Jack Nicholson, you're you're insane. I thought I was a Pisces. <laughs> that cracked me up, and that was like something I didn't pick up as a kid. But I, yeah, I, I rewound it a couple times. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. There's, there's something to this role that I did not, I just didn't get when I was a kid. Like he was big, and yeah. he like danced around, and you know he was kind of menacing. But it wasn't until I rewatched it for this that I realized just how menacing he was in his bigness. Like he's very scary. Like a, yeah. yeah, somebody is you know masquerading around as a clown and terrorizing a whole populace with this giant grin on his face and just make cracking stupid jokes the entire time. Like I thought he was great. I think it kind of, that's another way reason or thing that I think is really good about this movie is it worked to where like I watched this movie so much when I was a little kid. I love this movie. I loved Batman, but the Joker never like scared me away from it. Like I understood that he was a villain. I am more. Sca- he, I am scared more in the rewatching of this than exactly. I was as a yeah. child of the. Like, yeah, now absolutely. as I rewatch it and I like understand the weight of yeah, what is and, happening, like, the subtext. And everything I, uh, yeah, I I get it more as an adult, but like I was still able to enjoy it as a small child without being like nightmarish. His you know? his whole shtick about uh, like Roger said a minute ago about being the world's first homicidal artist or or however it's worded. You know, you wouldn't get that as a kid, right. the, the gravity of that. But rewatching it as an adult, as an adult, absolutely, it's like yeah, because the, yeah. the common criticism is that he's too goofy in this movie. I disagree. I, yeah. I disagree. I, with it completely. I think yeah. he's sinister as shit, and it's not. It is your memory thinking of Big Jack Nicholson without remembering the context of the movie. Like this yeah. movie is dark as fuck, all top to bottom. Like we can people will say it isn't. It is. It's yeah. really dark, and part of that is lent directly from their performances he is really creepy it's just not as obvious because he is just goofy the entire time while it, he's doing it, it. it kind of ties back to the unrated for just a second but the the aspect of the part where he even the shows the true side of the joker what made him the comic book joker was when batman's flying around he goes where'd he get that thing he goes bob gives bob gives him the gun he shoots <laughs> him bob, and yeah. just like Right there is like in it. When I, I was like, it, it's played for a laugh. Yeah, but it, it yeah. is really dark. Yeah, it's really dark. And it was like, boys, take a minute. And he just walks yeah. away. And like that whole sequence is cool blooded. Like it's just like that right there to me was underrated, underplayed, underrated to me. An entire movie. It was really well done. It was yeah, subtle. Totally no, watching it as a kid, I didn't understand. Yeah. Like, oh, she just murdered somebody yeah. in cold blood. But yeah. now as an adult, I'm like, what a dangerous man. Get him, yeah. Batman. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? like, yeah, definitely. What a sicko. But like that's kind of what I think the the character, the Joker, too. Like it's it's he is goofy and weird, but like you know he's like sick in the head and like capable of like doing unspeakable things. But he's also just like, you know, which I mean, that's the character, but I think yeah. it's credit to Jack Nicholson for being able to toe that line b- yeah. both ways. Right. I don't want to get into, like, that's why I said at the top, this is not an indictment of any other Jokers. It right, isn't. Right. I am only defending the performance of Jack Nicholson in this movie, who I think did a very good job. And I think it is telling because most, we'll transition to this as, as something that is uh, sort of an overlooked maybe aspect of this that I don't think gets enough credit. Part of what makes this so interesting is that this transitions directly into the
the greater DC universe for an immediate amount of time following this movie. This is individually responsible for Batman the Animated Series. Yep. The best portrayal of any Batman property. Agreed. Fight me. I really like Agreed. Batman, Batman the Animated Series above yes. all else. And that Jack Nicholson's Joker is kind of what we're playing on in, in the sandbox of Batman the Animated Series. And that's the best portrayal of the Joker. Like, it is this version of the Joker. It is sinister with the smile without having to be like super introspective and like too cerebrally weird. There are other characters for that. That Joker is broad and terrifying, and that is what this movie has. And not to mention it, the, the whole him using the TV to sell little messages. Yeah, all the animated series, like all that, over the animated, all the, even, everywhere. And like that, the episode like, where they're talking about where the where the, with the models with the, the smiley faces. That's a later episode in the animated series where the, he turns all the fish into smiley faces, yeah. and then they end up getting smiley. Everybody's getting smiley faces. There's so much direct correlation with it. It's fantastic. Even like just that aspect alone, I think is. If we're going to be underrated again, throw that app. Yeah, we're just kind of throwing all over the place. The the segments have kind of gone out the window today. We're having trouble keeping on track. <laughs> but that is that is so important to where DC goes, do. right? Because the the immediate fallout of this is the DC animated universe, which is again, fight me if you want, so much better than any other property amalgamation of things. Like I will watch Justice League a thousand times before I ever watch an Avengers movie again because I think. The way that they are, the betrayals that we use in these characters in this animated universe are the exact betrayals that I picture comic books exist. Just to clarify, like, you are talking Justice League animated. Yes, Justice yes. League animated. <laughs> I'm mention. talking about the animated DC universe, which I think is superior to all other things. I could debate you about the X Men one, the X Men, the, the animated series. That which, show is not as good as you remember. It's I, not. I guarantee you it isn't. It is a great theme wrapped up in an okay show like uh, maybe i'll have to revisit it again it, it's just okay i i have tried to revisit it and yeah, does not hold up the one thing i want i definitely have good memories about it from when i was a kid but oh, I, yeah. Haven't, yeah. I haven't tried to watch it as and maybe i should watch it again though it's just it's leave fun, it <laughs> but it's it's not it's not batman level good yeah no. there's no heart of ice episode in the x-men animated series like that no. doesn't happen so I don't know. There's, yeah, I, 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 I can still rewatch Batman the Animated Series, the Superman uh, animated series. So good. That Superman show all, is so yeah. fucking great. Very All of them. Yeah. I can still those watch those as an adult. They're right. Awesome. They're movies. They Master of the Phantasm is amazing. Yeah. But, it might be the best Batman movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the X-Men cartoon series, I cannot rewatch. I'll, Transformers, I can't do. They're like, still doing it now. Young you Justice that, is fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, they don't. Young Justice miss. is good. Yeah. The original Teen Titans was fucking awesome. Yeah. Teen Titans Go is funny. Fuck all nah, of you. Like, <laughs> there are so many great DC animated properties that it's like, it starts from Batman the movie. Batman 89 sets the template for everything that follows after it. Again, just like this. And like, even, it even stretches into Animaniacs because it makes some jokes. Yeah, the they have all the Warner properties yeah. to make fun of. So, yeah. But uh, the yeah. other the aspect of overrated that I wanted to mention too is the Batmobile. Everybody loves the Batmobile in this one, but I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, the design of this yeah, it's well, weird. I don't like. I, I was I was telling Dave before the show. I just didn't understand how he needed a grappling hook to, to make a turn. Like they're just it's showing such a wide ass car. I I, I right. can't imagine it can make regular turns without grappling. Hook. <laughs> it's like bad, that Go car is. There's no there's no <laughs> Applebee's. Yeah, there's no turn signal. There's there's a scene in Batman <laughs> Returns where where, where it Bat actually Bees. comes up on a pedestal yeah. to turn around. It's, yeah, and that's and that's the Batmobile in this, and maybe because of becoming more and more of a card nut person but i just I, I i'm sorry i i think it's the most overrated aspect of it it, it was used in video games for other features the and stuff design like that is strange there is a strange design it's i based hate off the front end of it that like if you if you were to just paint 
the very front part of it red. It looks like like the red rocket dog dick. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, like that's that's what I look at. I yeah, see a dog's penis when I see the it's front a Chevy. It's a Chevy V eight. Like Belga. yeah, it's it does look like a penis. Like I rather have the Batman sixty six one, the Adam West one. Yeah, than that yeah. One. At least that has like a practical application of being yeah. able to see through it. Like yeah. there's a bubble and shit. Yeah, like, this might surprise you guys, but I don't give a fuck about the Batman. Sure, yeah, yeah it's, and that's it, fine. It, it, it's worth ta- talking about because it is, <laughs> it's done better. Everybody you know talks about I mean? the, oh my god, the Batman, blah, and I'm like, I because yeah, I mean, at least the Batwing's cool though. Sure, Batwing's yeah, cool. Yeah, Batwing looks like the fucking single. It's awesome. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, it looks exactly like they did in the animated series. Yep. Also dope as fuck. Yeah. Even, but, even the animated cool. series Batmobile is kind of uh, kind of a bit much. It's so long. It's like a goddamn city block long. It looks cool, but it's. But it's I will say that it's easier. Cool. It's easier to accept it in the animated series than try. it is yeah. to accept it in. Sure, in- Josh. Yeah, is- I don't. I, I'm suspended from reality on that. Honestly, he could pull up in like a fucking Prius painted black with a bat <laughs> signal slapped on it and be like, "This car is fast as shit," and I'd be like. That'll well, that'll be Ro- that'll be then. Robert Pattinson's Batmobile. Oh my! I know, but like you talk about, uh, <laughs> it's New Age Batman. And I know <laughs> Josh would appreciate this as a person who notices the small things, i.e., the William Scream in Star Wars, which literally almost jumped out of a theater for. Oh God! Um, but the it, thing- was, it wasn't the Wilhelm Scream. It was the uh, it was the Tarzan yell. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Either I'm way, yeah, yeah. You were like, you invisibly got upset during the movies. Oh yeah, I, I got up, I got up, and yeah. I left the theater yeah, you were, for a minute. Yeah, you were. Pissed. It was fucking dumb. The that's, scene that's that I did that for people. during this, while I watched the rewatching, is Batman using the targeting computer, like that when he's aiming at the Joker, reminding me of like the do do do. It reminded me of uh, Star Wars, and I was just like, come the fuck on, yeah. like. That was a little overrated. It's kind of hard to do technology like of the future, right? When it's you always don't hard have to it. do future tech and, stuff. Yeah. And it's it's kind of... Or to be like a guy who is super high tech in the time, modern. Right, yeah. It's right. always funny to see how it ages, you know? Like, yeah. Like, like you know, okay. Like, they think like his back looks... computer is really just a bunch of TVs with yeah, some yeah. like steel rod stands <laughs> all around it. Yeah, yeah the, the, the CD player. It, you look at it back then and you're like... Wow, that's high tech, you oh, know. Yeah. But now you're like, what? <laughs> he got the he got all this stuff at the sharper like image on clearance. VCR with an antenna tape to it. <laughs> Speaking to all of that, I think it's actually interesting to note something else that I think I definitely didn't realize until I watched this again. But something of an underrated kind of note to this: Batman, like surveillance state Batman, kind of comes from this too. Like he yeah. has a whole wall of monitors down there in the Batcave. This is something that will become a trope going forward for every other Batman. Like. This is the Batman that exists of like the one that watches the city and has the capability to be able to do that. Again, not explored, but it would be in future in future generations where they kind of they tell you how he gets all that shit. Like right. he just has it now. So Batman is the eye in the sky. Not like, to mention he there's more tech Batman in the comic also changes technology wise. There's more technology in the comic books yeah. after this. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it definitely it, it definitely plays into that. It notes to that for sure. So you guys have, re- I mean, I know you guys have read Batman comics, but like how much of them have you read? Like, are you like, you feel like you have a pretty good grasp on like, I have what good, this material, where this material I have from? a good grasp on the majority of where this would have come from and things immediately following this. I okay. kind of check out around the late 90s after the next set of Batman movies. Okay. But I, it's my, my knowledge of it is all almost 90s centric and like, like the immediate 80s before that. I never, it's funny because I love comic book movies. I love comic book franchises. I never really got all that much into actually reading comic yeah. books because Josh poor. Um, 
but I have, you know, I've read the big ones. Like I've read the killing joke. I've read uh, Batman year one. I've read the dark Knight returns. Um, I've read nightfall, you know, I've read the big graphic novels, okay. but actual like comic, just individual issues. I never really got into. Yeah. But, and uh, you Roger, my older brother read a lot of Batman. I was reading my brother at the time was reading when the second uh, Batman, or excuse me, the second Robin, Jason Todd, passes away, and it was decided by phone number. You called in a number, you yeah. decide whether Robin uh, dies or not. And so that I was reading the comic books a little bit then. I had a nature. My older brother had like when the movie came out, he got all the semantics about the Batmobile, the Bat, and all that because he was already in the Batman quite a bit. And he was reading 80s Batman, which at the time was just struggling sales-wise. But I was introduced to Batman right beforehand with the Batman Year One that my brother got. My brother got that. And it was hard to find. Comic books weren't, stores weren't as prevalent as they were now back then, or back then as they were now. But he had a regular subscription to Conan, Conan the Barbarian, which is strange, Batman, and X-Factor. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, um, so. I've only read like a handful of Batman comics, and I don't know when they were written. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, from what Roger was saying, apparently the comics are available on would, the DC network. Yeah, the DC like whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, wait, see, every single like, Batman you could ever think of, knowing the man, it's on it. For reading, six bucks a month through Nightfall right now. Oh, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, for six bucks a month you can get every single one, including I'm, um, and all of the animated series. Yeah, I'm a. I would love if we have any listeners that are like hardcore Batman readers, and we missed anything like. I would love to come, come at us on Twitter. Yeah, because I, yeah. I would love to know. We're not wrapping up. We are going to take a break. Yeah, but yeah, I'm just interested to, to head into break though with that. Yeah, please let us know because we're. I am not in any way an expert. I will when I come back. I will explain. I will elaborate a little bit on what I was just saying. But there is there is a lot we do not know. So please, we are informed as you are informed. So inform us more because we would like to be more informed than you, and then we can use it against you later. <laughs> um, we're going to take a break real quick, and then we'll come back and try to get through some stuff I know we missed. So pause for station identification. Welcome to Grave Discussions. I am your host, Barnabas. And I am your co-host, Samael. Be sure to join us on the Sports Radio Detroit Network. And you better make sure you stalk our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Grave Discussions. And go to our website, GraveDiscussions.net. <laughs> Because I feel like a salad tossing might feel good. What? <laughs> Out of Bounds Detroit Podcast. Tuesday morning and Friday mornings here on SportsRadioDetroit.com. And Bob. Remember, you are my number one. And yes, sir. And we're back. How's it going? I hope you enjoyed that sampling of things you can find here on the website. Why don't we take a minute to talk about that? Did I'm we, Batman. We move that around. We'll talk about it here in the middle. Roger, what's happening at SRD right now? Anything interesting? Well, right now, uh, Grave Discussions has hit episode 62. They're doing a really good job of Kudos support. to Grave Discussions. And they Big p- fans of the show, friends of the show. Yeah, friends of the show. And they also picked up a little local, like, picked up a sponsorship thing. They picked up an opportunity to get sponsored. So, Oh, well done. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of part and or excuse me, um, Barnabas and Samuel. Sorry, I have to use their stage names. Kayfabe, man. Kayfabe. Don't break kayfabe. Nope, yeah, break, not breaking kayfabe. Uh, we also have 
Tigers is doing pretty well. It's uh, the Tigers. Are not, the, Tigers the Tigers podcast. Is yes, doing well. yes, the Tigers podcast is doing well. The team is not so much. If only the actual team could should have bask in the successes of the show. Yes, and uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, I had a couple of people who who applauded me for my yelling about the Tigers. So if you want to check that well, out, and here's a question for you: yeah. Would your show be as good? If the Tigers were doing better, our numbers have what actually. What kind of world do you live in? Well, the Tigers were doing good. Our numbers good were pretty, pretty good. They've dropped off a little bit, but still, uh, nevertheless, right. I guess and, the answer is that question. And then keep uh, yelling. You'll you'll keep it up. Yeah, as long as I don't look like this douchebag who yells on Twitter. But anyways, <laughs> uh, and then Connie Tracks is rebooted, and we've done. Hey. We did one on uh, 1984's classic from October, at least October 13th, 1984, which is the replacements. Let it be classic album and we'll i'll be doing the whole entire trilogy so i'll have you on day four when we talk about your favorite album please to meet me Whoa. that'd be so. good i'd be happy to do that <laughs> yeah so that's what's um, going on yeah all right well that's cool everything's rocking on over there at the website so yeah check out that at sportsradiodetroit.com and listen to all of the offerings we have for you over there as we teased it before we came in and we talked about it again right here but that's because we love sports radio so much so shout out to them so getting back to what we were talking about though batman 89 uh, a couple of things left on the table, and I think the glaring omission from our first half, the part that I promised I would only talk about for maybe like eight minutes, but we'll see how long we go. <laughs> um, so the soundtrack of this movie is very notable. I don't know where I want to put it as overrated or underrated. I guess I would say underrated because, of course, I would. Uh, there are two soundtracks to this film. One is the score, uh, the Danny Elfman-led score, who is a longtime Burton collaborator, and, you know, to varying degrees of success. We, I, Josh, I get the impression that you are not a giant fan of the score of this film. Or is it Danny Elfman in general? I'm, I'm mixed. See, my issue with the score of this movie is that when Batman Begins came out, uh, people lost their shit about there not being like a real central theme to the Batman character, which, you know, it's they don't have that swelling uh like baritone sound to it. And I just kind of felt like it it's overused in this, not so much in Batman 89, but in, um, in Batman returns, it's definitely overused that, that introduction to Batman. Theme, it, fe- it felt like every, like everything that happened on the screen, you'd get that dun, 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 you yeah. know? And I just felt like it was kind of over enough is enough at that point. But if I'm really being fair, I would say it's fairly rated. It's not a bad score at all. It's very good. Even that theme is very fitting. They kind of, going back to the animated series, they kind of mimic that in the animated series as well. Yeah, it's like reworked. So it's definitely a very good theme and a very good score by Danny Elfman. I just kind of have a little bit of a bitterness to it because of other people. Overuse. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty evocative. Like it definitely sets the the tone that the movie sets visually. I think is very well matched by the the music of this film. Right. The 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 score of this film. The soundtrack is a different story. But we'll talk about that in a minute. The <laughs> the score though is very. It's very what you would expect, I guess. But I don't think that has to be a bad thing. Like if you expect Tim Tim Burton and Danny Elfman to be able to elicit a mood for you aurally a-u-r-a-l then you know that is that is a good thing like i i think that they do well you know their partnership has oh, has been very brought fruitful, a lot of yeah. this for their it does really well to serve their movies you know tonally speaking yeah i'm it's fine honestly <laughs> a, a score i really i'm gonna be honest like a score a movie score for me either has to be 
through the roof amazing or total dog shit for me to take note of it. <laughs> and this is, this is neither. And this, this is, is neither. It's it does its job. It it makes the mood. You know what I mean? It's not right. like they're like zooming in on Batman like over this dark, rainy, moist city, and all of a sudden you hear. It, <laughs> like it's not I, I never i never like perked up and said who scored this you know what i mean like i knew who scored it but i think you just know automatically like it's, it's so yeah. it's so emetic of his sound you but know? uh yeah i mean it's fine the the score is fine it's just it it did its job for me you know now the soundtrack though the... roger score before yeah. we go the, the well route. i mean there's only there's four composers i think of automatically that I feel like does every movie in some way, shape, or form. Oh my god, I would totally love to try and guess what you're thinking right now. Okay, uh, well, obviously Danny Elfman's one, right? Yeah, John Danny. Williams. Okay, Danny Elfman. Mm-hmm. I can I guess one? Yeah, those are the only two. I can. Hans Zimmerman. <laughs> Is it Hans Zimmer? Hans Zimmer. No. Zimmer. Zimmer. Yeah. No, that's no. the only, that's another name that I know for like scoring stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, Stuart yeah. Copeland, only because he's the drummer of oh, the police. You, you slap. You're such a Stuart <laughs> Copeland, Mark. I am. But it's fair, though. <laughs> Admittedly, that's fine. Whatever, I mean, hey, dude, Trouble Again has a banging song. Is, yeah. is that the picture that you were showing? No, that was showing you Danny Elfman because he looked, oh, he, okay. he looks, he's looked really, he's aged really weirdly and he just looks yeah, creepy, you know? Yeah, he's a strange guy. Yeah. And then the last one being the, well, uh, I can never say his name right, the Spaghetti Western, uh, Wild Wild West. Uh, oh, Enrico Marcone. Yeah. Yeah. Those, that's it. Those are the four I know and almost like in my head all play off each other so i could care less but i know that it's tim burton danny elfman are like the, the, like the, that's like like vanilla it's like the neapolitan ice cream minus they, they go together like tim burton and hella Bonham, helena bonham carter yeah and like, all her like tim burton and johnny depp yeah they go together like <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly tim burton and not having a haircut danny devito i mean he's yeah. also shut up with a bunch of tim burton stuff or not having a haircut for a while but uh no it's <laughs> I know it's it is it's fine. I mean, it, it sets a tone, and it, you're right. And every single thing, like I thought he did the Batman animated series, he didn't. But everybody's kind of spoofed it. In it, was, it was it's, very it's so evocative. Yeah. It's yeah. so yeah. It's so much like a it is that, but it yeah. isn't. Yeah. So yeah, that's the score wise. Those are the four composers I know, and they all mix together after a while. So. Like sometimes when I find out there's a movie, I'm like, wow, I really like this, and that's John Williams. I'm like, of course, John Williams because does everything. So. You would think that I would know more. I'm surprised like, you don't, Josh. Yeah. I don't. Like, I know like Danny Elfman guy. and John Williams. Yeah, and... I don't know any. I associate either. you like the REO Speedwagon song, Music Man, and I mean, you're disappointing me. <laughs> do, here, you know, right. do you know who scored X-Men First Class? I do not. Because that is a score that makes me happy. Just Magneto scenes. Anyway, sorry. Totally. No. Clearly, I'm totally riding hard for Marvel right to, now. Uh, yeah, no shit. <laughs> we'll, we'll, have a, we'll have that picture up on the Facebook. Um, <laughs> to, uh, to pivot off of Roger's Ario Speedwagon comment, <laughs> speaking of popular bands of an era and soundtracks. See? There you go. That, uh, great segue. Um, so there's another soundtrack to this movie, one that was far more successful than the score. Uh, and that is because it was released as a studio album by Prince. It is Prince's 11th full release for Warner Brothers Music, and it was deliberately done in order to both put some juice into the advertising for the film, like it's a Prince record, and also to help Prince, because Prince was not in any way not Prince, because he was Prince. Like He's a year removed from the very successful Sign of the Times tour. I Forgive me for a little bit of the minutiae. I'm a huge Prince fan, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the specifics. Um, Was he a symbol? At the time, no, no. he is still he wasn't Prince. yet a symbol. Yeah. Nope, mm. he is still Prince. the The cracks are showing. He was not thrilled about his position as a Warner label musician. Um, songs forthcoming would have him 
talking about it publicly and having slave written on his face and all that stuff but oh, we're yeah. not quite there yet just is right after a sign of a sign of a time sign of the times which the greatest prince album ever yeah. yes but at the time commercially was viewed kind of eh. it was not as successful yeah. as purple rain which is the the bar like you set a bar like purple rain it's difficult to meet that but it was i i mean this is another podcast conversation but it's his best album i think probably yeah but he's not in any way gone prince is still very much prince so you know prince gets tied into doing a record for this movie and it's really strange um i think it's very great in many ways i would say that it is probably it's probably overrated to say that the success the success of this movie had anything to do with prince but the album was incredibly successful i feel like the movie probably did more for the record um it was multi-platinum like 11 times platinum it it you know, was number one for a while. In the yeah. Six charts. weeks. I had yeah. it on cassette. Yeah, absolutely. I did too. So like, it was a giant record. It's not really a Prince record though. Like it's mostly a, it's a it's bat like, record. It is a bat record. It's <laughs> like a bunch of samples of quotes from the movie and a bunch of songs yeah. and stuff. There's nothing wrong with this album as an album, but I think it's a weird snapshot of what they were trying to do with this movie to make it, a cross marketable kind of thing because this was everywhere this was sort of new territory like to to have a really really famous album by a really famous artist make an album as a a soundtrack to your film this is not unheard of like this has been happening for a long time but you know one fact that's impressive about this movie uh about the prince soundtrack or about the soundtrack for batman is that he produced a whole album's worth of songs after watching just a half hour of yeah. early footage of not even yeah not even the f- completed film. That's amazing. That, that's Prince, man. Like, yeah. yeah, it's Prince. <laughs> and then it was ultimate example, and I would I would concur with this too. And this is something that when I was doing some research on it, double dipping by the Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers is like one hundred percent. This is this is why yeah. like they were they knew what they had in Prince, and they wanted to use his name to put on this movie to make it you know another way to market it and that's not the wrong idea you know what i mean like it's you have all this stuff in your stable you're supposed to use those things i it's just too bad that i feel like prince didn't get a great outlet to make a a record that made real sense apart from it being the soundtrack to this movie like it is the soundtrack to this movie and it is nothing else like those he doesn't play a lot of those songs he has played party man like it is a song that has showed up in concerts I have heard it personally, um, but it's not, this album isn't something that people think of when you think of Prince immediately. This is not his best of kind of stuff. They didn't even release singles. Like when they, when they would put out greatest hits and stuff, the party man wasn't there. Yeah. You know, bat dance isn't there. No. Like they're, they're not songs that show up. You, if you, you know? want to hear this album, you have to listen to this album. Yeah. <laughs> like, and there's, you know, um, there's a duet. There's a duet with Sheena Easton. Like there's there are songs on here that are there's always a duet songs. with Sheena Easton. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's never not a duet with Sheena. So there's there are songs here, but a lot of it is just like weird instrumental supplanted by quotes kind of songs, which which works really well for things like Bat Dance, which I think is a cool ass song. Yeah. But taken out of context, it's weird. Like it's cool that it exists as like a time capsule. Yeah. Specifically the video, which is bizarre as hell. Yeah. With Prince, you know, done up half as the Joker and half as Batman, like through the you know, through the They should have the just had Prince play Two Face and all right. Of- yeah. Um, honestly, anything, I kind of have, literally. I just have a soft spot for this album just because this was kind of my introduction to Prince. Yeah. If I'm being I honest. I bet this like, was for many people. Like I probably knew like 
a print song like Little sure. Red Cravat or something like that or Red I'm not going to front and try to say that I was on right. that tip as a six year old like, right. well Sign of the Times was his best album sure sure like, I didn't fucking know so I heard Bad Dance thought it was a badass song so yeah. like yeah this was probably also close to an introduction I mean, for Prince yeah because I I mean I probably heard like you know his hits like when my mom listened to him in the car or something like that but I don't think I really like knew anything about Prince but I this was like essentially my first Prince album that I owned because somebody gave me the Batman soundtrack and I listened to the shit out of it you know I listened to the shit out of it it was awesome to me when I was five so you know, with, it's still awesome, of course. I think. With the exception of this movie, I have never heard any of these songs. Really? You haven't, like, listened like, to I, I like Prince. I enjoy Prince a lot. But I have never, watch, I have never, like. your words, my friend. No, I've, I've just never, oh, okay. like, delved into his catalog. Okay. Like, I've never yeah. gone through and listened to a whole Prince album. Like, you know, I like, in, I like individual songs. Um but I've never really done a deep dive, you know? So I've never heard the Batman soundtrack with the exception of in the film. And what I have to say about that is you, you see a lot of jokes made about the fact that Prince did the soundtrack for Batman yeah. at Batman's expense, uh, you know, uh, comes to mind the scene in was it Shaun of the Dead? Yeah, Shaun of the where, Dead. Where they're throwing the records at the, at the zombies and it's, they're like, comes up they're like yeah, okay they're yeah go, go ahead yeah. throw it you know and um i felt that in the context of the movie that it was actually really well done i thought it like, was cool like I, the way the songs were used it never felt overblown like oh man there's so much prince in this movie yeah it's like they, they don't do it a lot the way right. the album is structured it's he writes songs for specific characters in the movie like there's a vicky vale song and there's a batman song but none of them are implemented that way in the film save the joker songs which right. are all over this movie party man in great specificity like probably the best the best known and the best well used absolutely um, it's it's weird though because the the soundtrack to this film would suggest a more fun movie like if you listen to a lot of these songs they're a bit funky it's prince so right. they're like they're funkier they're a bit more up tempo most of them so there's there's a there's a vein of like a movie that we might have gotten if it were done differently that is closer to a classic style Batman, but it's not goofy. Like this album isn't goofy full out. It's just playful. And that's, I think that's best though, that it didn't end up marking how the movie gets made because it's, it's nice to have this thing exist as like its own weird curiosity. But right. if you were to make this movie really, really silly past what it already was, it would be too silly. So I, I think it's a weird, a weird accomplishment to have had this happen, you know, coincide with each other, but it is, it's not necessary for you to go and find the Prince Batman soundtrack. It's fun for the time. It probably isn't great. You know what I mean? Right. Like it, it is what it is. Yeah. I would argue that it's just like a listen that like, maybe if you're a, a Prince fan and you haven't heard it, like give it a listen. Cause yeah, it's kind a couple of, of decent songs cause it's there. not only that, but it's kind of like a weird look into what he was just doing. Kind then. of a strange like, album, yeah. you know, like kind of a strange thing that happened here. Like he wrote a bad album. Yeah, you know it what is I mean? a weird like, contrast to what he would go forward and do immediately after that. Like this is right before the new power generation becomes a thing. Yeah. Again, if you don't mind my Prince minute, but it's, he's at a really weird tr transitional part of his career. And this is strangely enough, the transition. And that's weird when you think about it that way, like you went from being the Prince of the eighties into the Prince of the nineties and Batman was the pivot. Like yeah. that's a strange place to be. That's a pivot right into the graffiti bridge. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. And it's, what's, what's interesting too. Another couple of fun facts too, is that 
his first song he played and learned on the piano was the original Batman theme from the '60s. That is incredible. That yeah, that that's where he kind of learned. And when he got the call, that he was excited because he was a big Batman fan growing up. So it kind of came full circle to See, him. You just never know about Prince. Yeah. Like you hear something like Prince was a giant Batman fan. You're like, of course he was. I wouldn't know that, but that makes, makes perfect sense. sense. Yeah, yeah. like. Yeah. yeah, Prince definitely a Batman fan. Like you know, alter egos and kind of shit. I'm sure he was way into that. And then, you know what's funny too is that they, in the additional research that in the video when he's in front of the computer, it's the first time I ever see Prince actually in front of a computer. Oh yeah. And what's funny is they even I found this one on a blog that talked about that shirt he's wearing. All brain, all this in brains too, a reference to the Frank Miller comic. Yeah, yeah. Prince Prince goes deep on some Batman stuff. Yeah. So it's. Fun fact that I found out that I wanted to mention because I knew you were That's gonna, fun. I knew you were gonna have this Prince moment. Oh yeah, and, 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 and it was it had, but, to have, it had to happen. But it's also the fact that this, to me, and and all, all research have my own opinion. This sounded, this started the super soundtrack era because I mean, if you think about it, he had like okay, so Purple Rain was a soundtrack to his movie, to his own movie. Yeah, and then he had a, the he the same director directed his video for Bat Dance too. But if you think about it, at that period of time. Soundtracks were still a big thing, and this is kind of like to me the one of the last ones for a while until singles and and, and like um which is not far behind this. this yeah, is like, until this is right every before Cameron Crowe movie, right? Right. Yeah, but for a while, singles you, is one. Yeah, yeah, but in terms of like this was the last summer blockbuster movie that had a good, like a great soundtrack to it because everything like you think of singles, you think of those Cameron Crowe movies. Those are not exactly. You know, uh, family, but fr- like family movies. When you think they of fam- were successful, though. They were Jerry successful. Wire was successful. But, you know, Almost Famous is pretty successful. Well, what I mean, though, in terms of tying a good soundtrack to it, right? Like in terms of like something that was because that's gonna be hard. That, that that transition from the '80s having all these great soundtracks this is the last crescendo to me, at least, of this kind of soundtrack where you know until until that period until at least the mid '90s, at least in my opinion, at least. Where a soundtrack became took a life of its own. I think it's throughout the nineties. I think. Yeah, like, I was gonna say. I think throughout the nineties, it's they the, did it's a lot the of whole that. decade. Yeah. I mean, like in terms of like I should have said that is definitely a topic that we will. I should discuss. phrase it. Like, we talked about uh, it before, but I should phrase it as the last good soundtrack of the eighties. I should say. All right. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, because I think I. I would say that this kind of like jump starts like people trying to kind of repeat this where they get like these big artists and they're like, oh, you got to do a yeah, song 100%. like speci- like you got to write it specifically for the movie. And, and like look at like Disney movies that follow after this, too. This is before Disney was doing that, like having contemporary artists do the songs that they were yep. doing in their films. I think a part of that definitely comes from the success, the success of this film by having a mass market appeal by get, putting hit songs into a movie that is by, you know, by design not supposed to be having hit songs like they were musicals but they weren't the same as like this is an artist you know yeah you know i mean this is like oliver like, Com- like oliver, and company, uh, oliver and company right had billy joel yeah, yeah. exactly yeah so like this stuff's all kind of happening around the same time like it's it's i'm not gonna say prince is responsible for this but fuck it i'm gonna say prince is responsible for it <laughs> you know what keeps coming to mind as like a fail um like a failed attempt at trying to have like a really great movie song but also just being horrible and bad is in the late 90s that shitty godzilla uh movie and the wasn't the, it the, the puff daddy and the led zeppelin uh, mashup that came from it i don't know why that keeps just coming into my head as like I had, a terrible terrible I thing had that, that happened single. i will defend the godzilla soundtrack on the merit that it has, and I don't care who, who cares about this, the best rated against the machine song is Agreed. on the Godzilla yeah, soundtrack. That is a, no Shelter is a fucking banger. Yeah. And it's it is squared away 
only on the Godzilla soundtrack. That's Never it. released on a record. Yep. It exists only there. That song fucking rips. It rules. So yeah. that's 100% love to the Godzilla soundtrack for being awesome. I had I had the Puff Daddy <laughs> single for that song. I, <laughs> uh, come with I did. Me. Come with I did. me ass. That's it, it, it really is. It is. Uh, as a kid, oh, I did 90s. not recognize that you weren't that you were a young. kid it's all right i was a teenager i was a young teen i was 27 okay. i had terrible taste i had terrible Bad. taste as no, a kid like all, all together like i i didn't really start learning about good things until i met dave well you've never <laughs> listened to prince's catalog so clearly you haven't learned enough i know right Apparently. i feel like i failed Josh. you <laughs> if that's true i don't want that credit if you haven't listened to prince music um it's, it's actually cool to mention the tie-in with what roger said at the top of the show because of that, this is a giant, a giant indicator of what they were hoping to pull off with this movie because they were worried about its success. The tie-ins for this were insane. Like between having, you know, like cups and things at McDonald's yeah. and, you know, all of the billboards and stuff like the marketing, the mass marketing machine that comes up around this movie is definitely the first time this had happened at such a level for a property like this like right. there is marketing obviously before batman but it's not it's not this site it's not this gorilla everything is marketed everywhere we're putting batman symbols on cups on bags of chips yeah like, this all kind of came from this batman like, cereal yeah like this is a this is a batman 89 thing like it the beginning of the summer correspondence of like ultimate giant tie-ins this is batman 89's fault and i guess you could say that that is kind of an underrated aspect of what this movie is responsible for it's underrated in its in its actuality and like fairly rated in the impact because jesus christ everything is hit over the head with you like for everything now right you know star wars is on it at, on taco bell yeah merchandise and shit yeah. you know you can buy branded bleach with shit on it like it i'm pretty sure i've seen like star wars lettuce and you're just like bananas what yeah, yeah. like dude, there's like, there's produce. literally just says star wars on the bag I know, and God, you're yeah. like i'm gonna eat the banana anyway i don't need yoda on it like, <laughs> yeah. it's just such a strange thing that's happened but it is, it is this movie's fault like Kind of for better and for worse. And you, you think about it too, in the grand scheme of things, it's a small part. I, I think we can do a podcast of summer of 89 movies alone. 89 was a really big year. But I mean, you turn, like, look at the movies that came out that year. You have Do the Right Thing, you have Indiana Jones, uh, The uh, Last Crusade. Yeah, yeah, they have that. You have Dead Poets Society. You have oh, my, uh, the, uh, Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. Lessons to Kill. I mean, it's like every every week was a banger. I mean, yeah, like man. literally, that's a, big that, year. That, that's a theme that we're running with this today. But yeah, you know, it's it's every show <laughs> is you know every movie is running with that, and so honestly, it, that to me is what all it, the it, movies that gross yeah. that year. And in a way, yeah. you're right though. You had to do. I think in a way, it's you had to do this because they were not convinced this movie was going to be successful. I cannot stress this enough. This movie started with a budget of like 25 million, ended up close to 40. Like by the time they got all things said and done, not including marketing. So this, we're going to assume this movie probably cost about $60 million or so. To I wonder make. if that includes oh, Star Trek five too, by the way, paycheck. Yeah. Right. Like things like, and Jack Nicholson's tag, like everything that has to come into the making this movie, they were not convinced it was going to succeed, which is why they were, marketing the shit out of everywhere it made 400 million dollars it was at the time the fifth highest grossing movie ever so yeah. I, don't, I don't have adjusted for inflation that's not important but it is important to some people now and that starts here like this is a movie yeah. that kind of created 
the box office importance of how well a movie does and how it tracks and the sort of people you're trying to get to come to a movie. They didn't know what they had in the, in the metrics of how they wanted to bring people into films until Batman 89, like movies were successful and they did well, but no one, no one was pushing to make movies we're opening the number one movie. Like we want right. to make this a thing. We have the summer tent pole film. Right. So giving a context for terms of money wise, opening weekend, it made $40 million opening at 2000 it made back. It's budget in a week. Yeah, exactly. 2,194 theaters gross to date, $251 million. And it's, it's, I mean, of course, Dark Knight and Dark Knight is the only reason why it's ahead of it is because it's open. It opened to twice as more theaters than Batman did. Adjusted for inflation, and because they had a, because they had this to work with, like because Batman was relevant again. Yeah, because Batman was nothing. That's that's also an underrated aspect of this. While we're talking about it, Batman was a joke. Like that's why they didn't think this movie would succeed because Batman was not as a non-entity. There had been no Batman for decades. And then this came out of nowhere. And then to prove how little they understood this movie to begin with, it was a short time later when we got Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Yeah. Showing that they really just didn't understand what What people wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when you say Batman was nowhere, I mean... Batman Adam West was like what was fresh in everybody's mind. Yeah. So yeah, it was just yeah. like a campy, you know, TV show. When you have people like my mom, like my mom knows Batman now. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? She didn't freaking know Batman before, you know, 1989 when he a exploded onto the screen yeah. and stuff. So for, I mean, for adjusted for gross, adjusted for take, yeah, take the price, that, yeah, $567 million. It is second only to the Dark Knight overall. Yeah. So in the Batman, in the Batman, in the, in the franchise, yeah, adjusted for ticket price inflation. So, which, by the way, fun fact: Mask of the Phantasm is ranked tenth. So there you go. So should be second, should second be, or third. Yeah. But uh, what a great movie! And then ba- Dark Dark Knight. But here's the thing too: how much Batman stood over its sequel. Dark Knight Rises number three, Batman Forever ugh, four, Batman Returns number five. Um. I'm sorry, Batman. I was Batman Returns. I should said, or not Batman. Ah, I was thinking of uh, Batman and Robin. Sorry. Okay. Uh, but uh, either way, um, for adjusted inflation ticket price, it's high up there. Yeah, and this is this is where this starts. Like these numbers that we're looking at on a screen in front of us, this is where it starts tracking. Like Variety would print shit like that, where it's like, oh, this movie made this much money, but no one even really knew about that, and no one cared. Like it wasn't what people talked about apart from financial discussions within companies. That list is also a perfect example of why you can't take box office grosses into account for how well a movie actually, like how good it actually is. Yeah, totally. Because there's, there's no way any of those movies are better than Batman returns. No, I, I mean, I agree with you. It is what it is, but that's, it is emblematic though of the importance people put on this stuff though. Like it, and how we look at it in hindsight, like you can say that Batman returns was a failure because it didn't, have the same success that the original Batman had, but it was a success in so many other ways that we will discuss at another time. Right. That it's, you know, (laughs) that's fine. That's fine. It it bears mention though, because it's all of this is so important to track from this movie because none of this happens without this movie. Like Batman doesn't get a sequel to fuck things up and make people want more Batman. Batman doesn't then 
have two ridiculous sequels that people kind of hate. They all go see though. People yep. went to those movies. They yep. all they were all box office successes. Even Batman and Robin, which is total dog shit. Which are, they were money. apparently better than Batman Returns. That's exactly what I'm right. what I'm talking about so, here. Yeah, you know, you need all of this stuff to get to the Batman that everybody loves again in the early thousands. You know, through all the Dark Knight stuff. None of that happens without Batman '89. It is so important to the the conversation of what superhero movies would become arguably without those Batman movies happening. You don't make Iron Man. Like this is all I can say this because it's true. Like I'm not, this isn't like tinfoil hat, you know, kind of shit. This is, this is, there's data like to show that you don't make these movies without someone being successful first. And Batman 89 was that success. That success. It has to be successful. What, what was the next like big superhero movie after Batman 89? Like that wasn't, well, that wasn't like a Batman movie because I remember they were cranking out Batman movies. Was it X-Men is late And then like Spider-Man or Spider-Man is like, yeah, what? Oh, two or one or whatever. And then it just wildly out of control. Then we're off to the races. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it, it has it happens now where there's like people are picking up properties all over the place like yeah. the last decade. Just by what you mentioned, they didn't do that right after Batman because we thought this was a fluke. Like yeah. Batman worked because you know, oh, it had Jack Nicholson, oh, it had Michael Keaton, oh, it Tim Burton directed it. He's a person. Like And then they felt that their uh their opinion of it being a fluke was justified because of how critically panned Batman Forever and Batman and Robin were right, and that's yeah. why it took a while before we finally got X Men. Yeah, and even when we finally did get X Men, it kind of went back to grassroots, where it was kind of not as high budget as you would yeah, expect for cast some unknown people or lesser exactly. known people. Yeah, yeah, like this was this was a giant experiment. It f- succeeded, you know. So there are failures marked along the way, but this is. This is why this movie is so important, and we'll talk about that as I think the most underrated aspect of this movie is the legacy of this movie. Yeah. It is you, so important. Go ahead, Roger. I was going to say, the only movie that came out within a, within the same time frame that was comic-based, and I I'd, I'd just remember just to make sure, because I watched this, and I got it at videos on one Thursday or one Friday night with my little brother, the Punisher with Dolph Lundgren. Oh my God! I forgot. Oh all yeah, about the I could so, talk about the Punisher. Yeah, that came <laughs> out. That came out in later in '89. But I remember my old brother saying that this was a byproduct of Batman because it was quickly. I believe that. Yeah, it was quickly put together. Russian production, Russian yeah. production kind of thing, and I think they were trying to capitalize. Yeah, on Yeah. Oh, absolutely. This happens, but so, there isn't yeah. like a mass market appeal kind of thing. I, right. Yeah, but it's also following. like it's. It's the Punisher. It's one of those things that it's like you would think that would be easier to throw together. No, that's right? true. Yeah, you know, it's he's kind of streamlined. Simple, and you're going right? uphill though too yeah. with that. Like no one knows the Punisher. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. By comparison, Batman is Batman. It's yeah. not like Batman they quickly whipped up record. another Superman movie. Or yeah, something. and in other words, I mean, the, the I think the Punisher at the time was the underground ba- like that. It's like a college rock band. Like you, you, you know of them, <laughs> you totally respect them. The Punisher is 100. percent They're like the replacements at the time. You know, you you've heard of them, you like them. But you're not sure about him, and that's how the Punisher was at the time in terms of like, in the great like in terms of mass appeal, or was that what's that word you use? Zeitgeist? It wasn't. Yeah, in the, it yeah. wasn't in the zeitgeist at it all. Was not for nerds out there. For my little brother who collected over 500 pu- the Punisher comics, including all his world journals. Jesus, I will ride small. hard for that movie till the end of time. I don't care what anybody says. I think that movie is better than it gets credit for. Oh, I agree. The I agree. 89. Punisher 89. Punisher 89. Absolutely. I don't know. Yeah, if it came out in 89, sure, we'll call it Punisher 89. It is Punisher 89. It came out October 5th, But absolutely, I think that movie is better than people give it credit for, and I think Dolph Lundgren did a amazing job for somebody who had, like, 
not really acted yet. You know what? You know? I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm just looking at this data that Roger has pulled up. It says that it wasn't released till 91 in the United yeah, States. Yeah, I was saying it came out in West Germany in October in 89. 50th. Yeah, and it came out. <laughs> the reason why it didn't come out, it was supposed to be released in October of 1989, but because the company New World Financial couldn't put it together. Mm-hmm. So it was always released, a good sign. It was released direct to video of VHS and Laserdisc in 1991. Laserdisc. Right. So Batman 89. I'm sorry. All right. Well, I think that's enough about Punisher, <laughs> Punisher minute. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a conversation worth having though because it is germane. Like it's it does obviously spawn because of this like, Batman movie. You guys, it's 89 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now the tinfoil. Yeah, and also, and then to, in April 2009, Dolph Lundgren Film Festival showed it showed there. So. It Good made eighty nine million dollars. Just kidding. No, it didn't. Say, there, no chance. It made eighty nine million. Don't turn this into an episode about that shitty Jim Carrey movie. Twenty three. Twenty three. Yeah. Never. It, either way, I thought that had direct influence. It, it did. It did. Yeah. And it's it's just interesting that it would take them so long to try to finally figure out the formula for how to make these things because you know. They're all good at what they do, but they are formulaic. These movies yeah. all spawn from the same the, from the same pool. Well, I mean, of we're ideas. we're sitting here recording this what a How's month a month on the Go heels of uh, of <laughs> Avengers Endgame, which I'm right. I'm going to be honest, like I don't think I've ever seen so much like Talk people were serious about yeah. uh, like hyped about were, this movie. Yeah, we know some people that listen to the podcast. Even, but I would think also because it's the same serial, Dick Tracy. Yeah, 1990 would. It, yeah, that that's was, probably fair. That was probably. I imagine that probably got a little bit of push because of Batman. Yeah, comic book. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of got the same like, and it even has like almost a tone, like, to like, it. Yeah. Yeah. tone yeah. to it. Yeah. You could easily confuse it as a Tim Burton movie. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Really wanted to. In fact, it probably would have been better had it been a Tim Burton movie. Maybe. I don't <laughs> know if it would have been. Pump as colorful. the fucking brakes, Josh. No, I'm not saying it's a bad <laughs> movie. I'm just saying. It probably could have benefited Maybe. from because Danny Elfman did the music for it. Danny Elfman did the music. It's, right. it's weird that it isn't a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um. All that being said, the legacy of this movie is so clear and obvious that I I feel like when people say it's overrated, I don't think I don't think you're appreciating the gravity of just what this movie did. You know what I mean? I I can if we want to say that the movie itself as a movie is not good, I won't even argue with you. Like I think in general. The movie is fine. But like I enjoy impact. it. Right. I enjoy the movie. I think it's a fun watch. But I get if you watch, you know, the Avengers and you're comparing it to this, they're not at all in the same league. I 100% respect that. The Avengers doesn't happen without Batman 89. Its impact is that. It's it's that deep. Oh, I absolutely agree. When I when I started this episode, the the comments that I make on this movie, yes, it was a slog for me to get through. Yes, I don't think it held up to the standards of time. You know, I felt there's a lot that just wasn't particularly great about it, but I absolutely 100% understand its impact and its place in the world. And I can get behind that all day, every day. Batman's one of my favorite characters, always has been, always will be. Uh, I will say and, for me, because of this movie. Right, right. Because, and, and definitely when I was a kid, I absolutely yeah, loved this This is movie. where it starts for me. Um and that's where it started for me. So its impact is definitely important. So while I wouldn't say that it's overrated, I'm not going to say that it's underrated. You know, I would say it's exactly where it should well, be. Well, it's good that we have three options for you. Right. So we'll, if we'll just start from there. So we'll we'll wrap it up here. After everything's said and done, the legacy of this movie, fairly rated, Josh Mathis? Absolutely. Lacey? I think underrated. Um, to be honest, I hadn't even considered, like, the impact like I totally understand what you're saying. I'm not going to argue with you at all. That's it. You just kind of pointed it out, and I wasn't really looking at it like that. But 
as just a viewer sitting down and watching this, I think it's kind of underrated. I think as long as you consider the the time that it was made, which I know that isn't really standing the test of time per sure. se, if you take into consideration, but I think the scenery and the way it's kind of like, it looks like 1989, but at the same time it doesn't, it still almost looks like throwback, like film noir type tone. Um, I, th- I think it still remains a pretty good watch. I'd be interested to hear from some people who maybe didn't see it as kids and didn't have a memory yeah, of it. Who just kind of them. like, if they <laughs> yeah. were, if like we knew somebody who was young enough, like just make them sit down and watch it or have them sit down and watch it. And what do you think of this as a, as a superhero? I think that would be cool. I'd love to hear that. What's your kid doing these well, days, Roger? Um, I could ask him. I mean, I'm sure he <laughs> has he even seen it. We don't know. He, um, he has seen it. And he didn't care for it, but I, we could. Well, then now him. we have our answer. Let's all grumble about millennials. <laughs> Get him on the phone. <laughs> yeah, he, well, he's, got, he's Gen Y, whatever label classification. Oh, stop! They're all made up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. I was about to say yeah. like it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. No, but uh, I would say if we're, I think it's underrated because of the the, the impact it had. I and mean, you guys were talking about the cereal. We we're talking about the all that, but. Even the su- the subtle little things that go on with and, and it put Tim Burton in a different atmosphere to the point where he was un- well quote unquote untouchable for a while after that depends on your point of view but it to me I think the one aspect of it too is to see the synergy of a movie and music together and how it can work together and it doesn't seem campy at all that I, that to me is uh, underrated I think Prince for making movie or making songs specifically about a movie about characters in the movie you you barely even seen that's a hard thing to do yeah you know like uh, vicky vale okay she's a photographer what am i gonna write a song with this and like you have to like that whole process to come up with a song and, and even like to set the tone for it but michael keaton underrated in a sense that he was only known as comedic relief somewhat serious actor and i and i think that some of the, you know, him playing the vulture in Spider Man and and, and oh, the homecoming, you know, like man. he killed the, that. He's yeah. so good. Yeah, he but you so show, goddamn good. But what you then you I see love what Keaton, yeah. Yeah, and it dawned it, um, yeah, it dawns on me that he could have been that dark in that movie. He could have. I don't, actually, I don't know if he could have. No, I, I don't know if he's gotten there at yeah. that point. Like, he doesn't have the pathos, yeah, you know, so. yeah. to have earned that yet. I think it's cool when you juxtapose that performance against the the menace of the Joker in this movie. He's playing both sides. Like he. He gets to live long enough to see himself become the villain. I think that's a really cool thing that they managed to get him into that movie. It's one of his better performances. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and tell you Michael Keaton isn't great. He's fucking great. But if you are to lay them all out, I think the vulture ranks up there really high on his list of like really understanding a character, what it takes to embody it and putting that forward on screen. That He's fucking amazing. Yeah. That multiplicity. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so, <laughs> always comes back to multiplicity. Yeah. Um, There's always a multiplicity reference. That's, that's uh, it's cool that you point that out. Yeah. Cause it's, it, it is the, the destination from, you know, gung ho to the vulture is such a weird journey that Michael Keaton should probably have his own episode. We'll talk about this yeah. time, but I agree with you. he, his performances movie and the aspects of his importance are underrated. He's um, not my perfect Batman. I uh, haven't gotten it yet. I'm telling you. Well, what? You have. My, my perfect <laughs> my perfect movie and my perfect Batman, I still say I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, okay, it's well, called I'm Mask gonna, of Phantasm. I'm going to call Kevin this well, right now. I'm talking Batman. live action. I'm I just want to say right now, it is 
what, when we're recording this, May 25th, 2019. God, way to put a date on it. It's been announced that Robert Pattinson is going to be our next Batman. All right, yeah, we'll Josh is mad. Josh is, (laughs) guys, my social media feeds for the last week have been filled with Josh angry. Josh Josh smash over Robert Pattinson. It hasn't been that bad. I made one post. Shut up. Just roll with it. (laughs) So after this, I just want to say it publicly, after this movie comes out and Josh is like, Robert Pattinson, could, uh, he's my be. perfect Batman. It could be. I'm not going to say I, it won't There be. will never be a better Batman that's than Robert Pattinson. I don't want people to rule it out. That's the only That's the only right. issue I have with fandom Like when it comes to stuff like this. Because yeah. there were a lot of people when this movie came out that were like, Michael Keaton can't be Batman. Jack Nicholson can't be the Joker. Heath Ledger can't be the Joker. Heath Joker, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then people like... Looking you in the eye. I, I, yeah. I own it. I own it. So there... There have always been those discussions around casting for these things, but no one cared until Batman. Like, that's another thing I want to point out. None of this matters until Batman. Like, no one is arguing over who should play Wolverine without Batman, because that's not a conversation anyone needed to have. Nobody is saying that Robert Downey Jr. will be a bad Iron Man, because we don't have those conversations before that. Like, this this is all so... So uniquely Batman 89 that all of this stuff, you know, springs forth from it. I in in speaking to what you had said about Robert Pattinson, mm-hmm. I think the dude is a good actor. I you many people will only remember him from, from Twilight, Twilight movies. Yeah. I understand that. There are other movies for him for you to see him in. He has done well to perform in them. I will say that I did watch the trailer for that movie that you recommended. Yeah. I have not watched the movie yet. But I do have a little bit more respect for him after watching the trailer for that movie because I can see where he's grown as an actor. I, I, I only don't have, even think I've seen a movie. I have Harry that. Potter, I have Twilight, and I have that Water for Ele- Elephants movie to go off uh, of before well, that. And, yeah. and I hate it. I hated his performance in all of them. He was in Harry Potter. He was yeah, such a degree. I've never seen Harry Potter. Well, don't wow. no more, no more. <laughs> can't talk anymore about it. We can't spoil right. it. I know everything, though. What do you mean you know everything? How can you, you just like read it all without seeing the movies? Like a maniac? I'm, I'm friends with you and your wife. That is a very <laughs> fair point. How have you not watched any of these movies? <laughs> She's not that aggressive. I don't she, know. <laughs> she is to other people. She has. <laughs> she was to, to Becca, wasn't she? Yeah. She actually has said stuff to me before. You know, if you want the DVDs, I have them, and uh, like Blu-ray if you want the books yeah, or whatever. The whole so yeah. Anyway, uh, that movie sorry. is good time, by the way. If people haven't seen Good Time, I would put that as like, if you think Robert Pattinson sucks, please watch this movie. It is very good. And he is very good in it. Like that's that's almost the whole genesis for my argument because it is individually his best performance. And you would think that I would be more understanding because when people announced Ben Affleck as Batman, I defended it. And I still defend it. I think he was fine. I think Ben Affleck had been given a good movie. To work with he would probably have been my perfect batman sure but you know we got batman we, we versus got superman got. and justice yeah. league and they were fucking terrible but that is also a conversation for another yeah, day yep, so in wrapping up i agree with the majority of the opinion here that this movie as a as a piece of history is definitely underrated i think its importance can never its importance to modern film culture and how we view these, the lens that we view these properties through cannot be overstated. Like, I think it's just too important. Individually as a film, I think it's fair. Like, I, th- I think the movie itself is fair, and I think it's, its part in history is fair. So all things put together, I think the whole experience is worth having. I feel like people should still watch this movie. Maybe it doesn't hold up for you if you enjoyed it as a kid. Maybe you think it's bad now compared to the things that exist. But I still think people should watch it. I think... This is a movie that bears seeing. If you have ever in any way 
been into this sort of thing. Like if if you are a big summer release superhero type person, if you haven't somehow seen Batman 89, you really owe it to yourself to watch it just to kind of see where we've come from and how far we've come. So, yeah, man, I feel like we've covered pretty much everything. Are you feeling pretty good about it? We, I am. We covered everything and more. That's true. We talked about Prince. There, there, was, talked, <laughs> there was no way that this wasn't <laughs> going to devolve into, into yeah. talking about all these other things because, like he said, the, the cultural impact, the, yeah. the, you know, the impact it had on the film industry. There was no way we weren't going to si- yeah. get sidetracked. It's For a lot sure. of stuff. It's a lot of stuff, but we, we do what we could. But and, we are willing to talk about it. And we're going to do it again because we're going to keep making shows. So if you are into what you are hearing and you enjoyed the show, please leave us feedback on our Facebook page. Hit us up on Twitter at overunderfair. Uh, email us at overunderfairpod at gmail.com. We have many ways to reach out to you and all of us are invested and in, want to interact with the people that are here and that are listening. We want you to share your thoughts on this movie. If you haven't seen it, tell us if you liked it. If you have seen it, tell us why you love it or why you hate it. And then I'll yell at you. So that'll be fun for every, all parties involved. Uh, Roger, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, just please rate and review us. Just leave us a, a review. Every review helps us. Where can better. they do that, man? They can go on iTunes. They can go to Stitchler. Uh, they could do it on Podbeam. They can lose basically everywhere but Spotify, essentially. And you go to our website. You can listen to us on Spotify. Yes, you, you can cannot listen. rate and review us. Yes, there. you cannot you know, follow us there on yeah, Spotify. Sorry, Apple Podcasts, Google, Google yeah. Podcasts, all that stuff. All that stuff. Just leave a review. Let us know what you think. We really appreciate it. The feedback is welcome. You can go to our Facebook page, Over Under Fair, and follow us on Twitter at O. Over Under Fair. Over Under Fair. Yeah, I got so. that. I plugged the Twitter. Yeah, so plug it again. We want to interact with you guys. Discussion yeah. is people, loved yeah, and welcome. When people yeah. come and talk, we talk to you. Yeah, like, troll gonna, me, bitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're not always. We're still going to troll you now, Yeah. But yeah, so all that being said, thank you again for listening. I uh, look forward to more content from us. You know, we come out monthly. Uh, there's a future where that might, maybe it's more, but right now it's monthly. We do our best. So yes, please listen. Let us know how we're doing. And yeah, we look forward to doing more of this for you. So speaking for everybody, thank you so much for being here. Josh, great to have you back. Thank you so much. I love being here. Lacey, also great to have you back. Thank you. Happy Roger. Back. Oh, yes, good. Roger, producer Roger, always on the ones and twos, always my favorite my number one a guy and yeah man that's gonna be me talking for everybody this has been over under fair thanks a lot 